Right. Good morning and good morning. How's everyone doing today? Are we good? Good. Someone recently told me as they were listening to the podcast online that I start every sermon off with all right. So not to bring that to your attention, but I'm going to try to figure out some other transitional statements to throw in there. Um, well, if I haven't met you yet, this is your first time here or you're with us on the live stream. My name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors here. We're honored that you're with us this morning. Uh, we are continuing our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. What the Sermon on the Mount is, it is the longest recording teaching of Jesus Christ in the Gospels, and the Gospels are the eyewitness account to the life of Jesus. And what the Sermon on the Mount is all about, the Sermon on the Mount is about the ethics of God's kingdom. It's about what heaven prizes and values and cherishes in contrast to what this world prizes and values. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 5, 38 through 42. We're going to be Matthew 5, looking at verses 38 through 42. We're going to read our text. I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive in. Verses should be on the screen. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you so grateful, God. So grateful. You're a good God and you've been nothing but good to us, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the way and the truth and the life, and you show us the way to newness of life. Thank you, Jesus, for the beautiful invitation you're extending to all of us today in this text, that by the power of your Spirit, under your grace, not perfectly, but imperfectly, but with sincerity of heart, Lord Jesus, that, you, that we can partner with you to, to usher in the beauty and the wonder and the ethics of heaven into our sin-cursed war-torn war torn world, Lord Jesus. And so thank you, God. And so, Lord, I just pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would have your way with our hearts and with your word. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be magnified, uh, that you would reveal Jesus to us and our need for him. And I pray, Lord, that he would increase and I would decrease. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, well, the sermon title for my message today is this. It's a greater joy. A greater joy is the title I felt led to give this sermon. And the reason why is a fun fact is this about our lives, is that almost every decision that you and I make in our life flows out of what you think would give you the most joy and satisfaction, right? Like when you have two potentially really good options and you can't figure out which option to, 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 to make, what choice to make, well, it's whatever one's going to bring you the most joy, Right? Anyone here ever played the game, Would You Rather? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I used to be a youth pastor, um, and that still comes out in my sermons, Exhibit A. Uh, and so we'd play that game. If you've never played Would You Rather, basically if you're bored or on a bus going to camp or something, you just ask, the, the, you, ask you give two choices. You say, would you rather drink coffee for the rest of your life or tea for the rest of your life? And everyone knows the right answer to that question. That's coffee, Right? <laughs> Or you could dial it up a little bit and say, you, if you could only listen to one artist, musical artist, the rest of your life, would, it, would you rather listen to Nickelback or Ace of Bass? Which one would it be? And you all know that there's only one right answer, Ace of Bass. Amen, right? 
I saw the sign. That will change your life. Um, all right. So anyways, the reason I shared that is that in our text today, Jesus gives four potential scenarios to his followers that they could face. And in those, each of those scenarios, his followers are going to be wrong. They're going to be ex- exploited or uh, maligned or insulted. And they have the choice to rather pull up kind of the ethics of hell and retaliate and harbor bitterness and escalate the, the, the rivalry and the, the violence. Or they have the option of would they rather turn the other cheek and go the extra mile and bless those who are persecuting them so that they can pull down their kingdom that they belong to that can never be shaken to this sin-cursed world. Those are the choices that Jesus gives us. And the four scenarios that he's given us are a slap, a lawsuit, an extra mile, and a loan. And at first glance, when we read this text, what Jesus is saying seems like impossible. Like, how do you live this out? It seems absolutely impossible to live this out. Somebody slaps me in the face, like, what's your natural instinct, right? You're going to slap them back, right? And not only does it seem impossible, it also seems kind of controversial. Like, geez, are we just supposed to be a punching bag and a, and a doormat? Is that what you're calling for your followers? And one of the keys to understanding this text, that's gonna, the, the thread that's going to be woven throughout this sermon to understand this text, is the bottom line is this, is when Jesus Christ grabs a hold of your heart, there's something greater that you desire than clinging to your wealth. There's something greater you desire than slapping an enemy in the face who slaps you back. There's something greater you desire than clinging to your rights. And you desire nothing more than to see your Savior magnified. Your Savior magnified. And how others are invited into the feast that you've been invited into. Others are invited. So that's what we're going to conclude with here. But there's something greater we desire. Rather than revenge and fighting back and dominating others and clinging to our wealth, we desire the good of others for the glory of God, even when the other is our enemy. So let's start out by looking at, we talk about that later, let's start out with this. In verse 38, why does Jesus mention this Old Testament command? Jesus here is quoting an Old Testament command in verse 38 when he says, you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We find this in Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and Exodus. And again, what we've seen six times in the Sermon on the Mount, this is the fifth out of the sixth time we see Jesus use this refrain in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, you have heard it was said, but I say to you this. And so Jesus here, quoting the Old Testament, he's, what he's doing is he's not pitting himself against the Old Testament law. He's calling out the pharisaical abuse, misunderstanding, and mis- misuse of God's law. And he's teaching us the truer and better meaning of this law, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Because at first glance, this law sounds barbaric to our 21st century ears. And so real quick for us to understand uh, the true uh, trajectory and destination of that Old Testament command, we have to understand, one, the context of where that command was given and also the purpose of that command. So one, the context of that command, that command in the Old Testament was given to Israel as a nation state. So that was legislation, that was criminal legislation given to a nation so that justice would be enforced in their land. That was not, that was not a command uh, uh, given so that we have a free pass to take vengeance in our own hands. Does that make sense? It, it, it was, if I'm wronged, I go to the court of law, and the court of law would have that as their ethic, that legislation, which in our nation and in other nations, that's still legitimate criminal uh, legislation in the law of the land is, is a life for life an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Um, and so this command was to be enforced by governing authorities, not a free pass to take vengeance into your own hands. And secondly, what we see is the twofold purpose of this command, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. 
One is we see that it enforces justice, that um, the principle here, I don't think um, it's, it's verbatim. I don't know how many, even 3,000 years ago, how many cases were tried of the, the dude who kept plucking people's eyes out, you know. Uh, it's symbolic language, meaning the punishment needs to match the crime. Okay, so let me illustrate this. Because we're all about justice. We'll pay billions upon billions of dollars to see Liam Neeson or Denzel Washington or Keanu Reeves take justice into their own hands. It's just whenever the scriptures talk about justice or whenever we talk about God and having justice, everyone freaks out. But as long as Denzel does it, we're okay with it, all right? So three, just 3,000 years ago, somebody steals 10,000 shekels from me. And I see them, I got my ring, surveillance camera app, I catch them, obviously didn't have that back then, but for the sake of illustration, I'm like, this dude's caught red-handed, he walked out with my safe, 10,000 shekels, I go to the judge, he's arrested, and we're standing before the judge, and the judge goes, you know what, this seems a little too intense, I'm not too into this whole eye for an eye thing, so um, you, the thief, your punishment is going to be, you have are forced to drink decaf coffee for the rest of your life. And I'm like, that has nothing to do with the crime, like, I'm still out 10 grand. Like, why, why would, okay, okay. Well, I'll give you this. Uh, we won't go that far, but so you Venmo him $5. Can you Venmo him five bucks? And I'm like, no, I'm still out $9,995. How about I get my 10 grand back? Because that's what justice looks like. That's what justice looks like. So that, this, this command, and by the way, that's, that's the purpose of government. In Romans 13, we see in 1 Peter 2, is they're God-ordained institutions to protect citizens from evil and, and, and enforce justice in our land. Why? What's the trajectory of that? So that we can live in peace, right? Because without justice and without enforcing that justice, it's pure chaos. And might is right. And so then secondly, so we see uh, the twofold purpose of this. is One is that it enforces justice, but then two, it de-escalates violence. It de-escalates violence. It checks wild revenge. This command in the Old Testament, rather than encouraging and escalating violent revenge, it actually stops it dead in its tracks. Because in ancient Near Eastern culture, uh, people suffered immensely under like, fan, like Hatfield and McCoy type of situation, right? Where, hey, uh, you punched me in the face and now I'm going to like kill your whole family, okay? Well, then I'm going to get after your extended family. And then ad infinitum for century after century, there's, there's, there's tribal warfare going on. When this, when, this was to, when this command was to say just to stop it dead in his tracks, look, justice has been served. You don't need to escalate this anymore. So that's what Jesus is drawing out. All that to say is this, is that the trajectory of this command, the destination of this command in the Old Testament was not violence and barbarism. It was actually peace. It was not, it was not for the sake of division. It was for the sake of unity. It was not for the sake of retaliation. It was for the sake of reconciliation and shalom to be resting over a society where no matter what, we're sinners, and sin is going to be there, but it was going to check that and keep it in check so that we could live at peace with one another. And so when Jesus, all this to say is that when Jesus is saying, you have heard it said an eye for, for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, you've heard the Pharisees teach you this, that you can use that as justification to take revenge and retaliation in your own hands and to perpetuate violence and perpetuate, perpetuate division in your family and your interpersonal relationships. But I say to you this, and Jesus gives us a new command, a new destination, a new trajectory. And he says this, do not resist the evil one. Do not resist the one who is evil. This is what the true fulfillment of the command looks like. This is what Jesus is inviting us into, something far greater that we desire. And this is how the world changes, and this is how the kingdom of God comes. Now, let me explain. When I say do not resist the one who is evil, not when I say it, when Jesus says it, a million questions come to mind, right? And we're like, whoa, 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 back up, back up, back up. 
Does that mean when a nation is invaded by an, another evil nation that's committing atrocities against them, that that military, that nation doesn't have any right to fight back and resist the evil that's coming against them? And, and on a personal level, does that mean that when someone is trying to take my life, I have no right to defend myself? Or, or better yet, when I see someone getting harmed by another, I have no right to, to intervene because Jesus said, well, don't, don't resist the evil one. What is Jesus getting at here when he's saying this, well, what's clear in our text is the context of our text. This is known as the Sermon on the Mount, not the sermon in Caesar's palace. All right? So Jesus here doesn't have a public hearing with Caesar where he's talking about, you know, uh, uh, to a bunch of military generals about pacifism and, and, and their policy and procedures on international warfare. Okay, what's clear in Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 is that human governments are ordained by God to protect their citizens from evil and that it says it in Romans 13, they do not bear the sword in vain. But that sword is entrusted to human governments to, to not inflict evil upon their own people but to protect the people from evil, both within and from threats outside. And so long story short, when the Ukrainians and their military take up arms against invaders committing evil and atrocities against them, they are well within their God-ordained rights to fight back. And we champion that, and we pray that that war would come to an end and that they would have what they need. And so um, the next, and the whole, uh, that's, uh, entire libraries could be filled with the topic of pacifism and all that stuff. So I have to cover this because this is not the main thrust of what Jesus is getting at. But I know that these questions are, 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 are probably swirling around in your head. We'll say, okay, well, not on a national level, but on a personal level, when Jesus says, do not resist the evil one, uh, what does he mean there? Does he mean that if I'm in a house where I'm, 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 I'm getting, you know, it's, there's domestic abuse that I just need to, 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 to turn the other cheek? Does he mean when I'm, when I'm getting stabbed that I need to, uh, you know, just, just let someone uh, take my life? And I think, honestly, um, in our sinful flesh, obviously we're just trying to figure this out, but sometimes in our sinful flesh, we always want to get out from under what God is trying to tell us. We're trying to wiggle our way out, right? Like, it's clear. We know what Jesus is getting at. I'm about to tell you that. But I just want to check. I want to check why are we so against this and why, why do we often immediately run to disclaimers here. Well, well, what about this? Oh, what about this? What about this? Well, what about what Jesus, what, what about what Jesus continues to say here? It's, re, it's actually really simple. It's really clear. And if you ever are trying to figure out what a scripture means, just keep reading. It'll often context will reveal what he's getting at. Because I believe Jesus tells us exactly what he means when he says, do not resist the evil one, because he gives us four examples of it. And every example, every scenario that Jesus gives is a non-life-threatening situation. Every example he shares is non-life-threatening. Example, we have enough common sense to, to differentiate between what Jesus is saying here when he says, do not resist the evil one. Notice there's a lot of things that Jesus could have said here. When he says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, hey, if someone stabs you in the right lung, turn to them the left as well. Like, he, doesn't, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. It's a slap. And what he's getting at is that in each of the scenarios he lists, in certain scenarios, there's only one right option. If I'm a third party and I see someone getting violently attacked, I need to intervene as a follower of Jesus. And I need to, I need to kind of enact and enforce what is true and right and good in that situation. Like if an old lady is getting her purse taken, I'm going to resist that evil, okay? And hopefully you are too. But in these scenarios that Jesus lists, we actually don't have one option, only one right option. That's what he's getting at, is, is we have a choice that we can make based upon what we want with our lives. 
based on what we want for every human being that ever comes into contact with us. What do we want for them? What do we supremely value and cherish in our lives that supersedes our wealth and our rights and our revenge? Is it Christ? Is it knowing the living God and making him known? Or is it the American dream? Get off my lawn. Get away from my money. I do me. You do you. And, 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 and God bless you. Or is it I want you to taste and see the goodness of God that I've tasted. I'm willing to take it on the chin for you and to take the hit because my Savior took the, took the hit for me so that I could get a seat at the table. So let me take the hit for you because I want you to be welcome to that same table as well. And so each scenario, look at the, let's look at these scenarios. The, uh, verse 39. Jesus says, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. In the first century, a backhanded slap was the most extreme form of an insult. It was an insult. It was seen as grossly offensive. Uh, so much so that if you got the backhanded, pow, you know, take off your white glove and just smack someone across the face with that, you could take that dude to court. And on average, the, the fine that you'd have to pay was, uh, was half a year's wages. Half a year's wages for that backhanded slap. And, and thankfully, by the grace of God in 2022, we have progressed so much morally that this doesn't apply to us anymore. <laughs> so... I have, there's nothing in Hollywood, nothing I could share recently uh, to share an example. I'm at a loss, and so I'll just leave it at that. Um, verse 40, if anyone, if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. I love this commentator, this New Testament scholar who says this. The text speaks of two major garments worn in Palestine. The long underwear or shirt next to the body with sleeves and the loose-fitting coat that went over it and in which the poor man slept at night. These were the only two pieces of clothing most persons wore. What is asked for here then is drastic. If someone wants to take you to court for your shirt, let that person have your coat as well. In short, you would rather go naked than fight. You'd rather go naked than fight. That is the heart of a follower of Jesus. I don't want to win the lawsuit. I want to win a brother and sister to the Lord. And, I, and I'm willing to pay the price. I'm willing to take the hit. Rather than you and I getting in five years of litigation over a simple coat, I'll be all right. My Savior's got my back. I got, a, I got a Lord that I can entrust myself to in suffering. I know he's got me so that it frees me now to freely love you in the face of you, if you wanted to bring me to court. Before you ever get there, here, here's my extra north face and then, and then so on and so forth, okay? And thirdly, the third example that Jesus shares is this. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Uh, first century Israel, by the way, at the time of Christ, was occupied and oppressed by Rome. By Rome. And so part of that, uh, that, that oppression, the way it manifested, was at any time a Roman, you're out, say you're on your commute to work, you're running late, and you're coming, uh, you see a Roman soldier who's got his, his, his baggage. He's, he's, uh, he's, you know, he's TDY'd here and he's about to go TDY'd somewhere else. And he sees you and, and he could commandeer any civilian at any time in Israel. He could commandeer you and essentially make you his pack mule. And he would say, you're legally obligated to go a mile with me. Here's my massive bag and my sword and my shield, whatever. Boom, lop it on your shoulders. Come walk, walk donkey, come with me. And you'd have to, and you'd have to do it, but only to a certain extent. And Jesus is saying something radical here. He's saying to that Roman soldier, your oppressor, who you have seething anger with, you've seen how they subjugate your people. He just calls you a pack mule. And you look at him and you say, hey, you, you need me to go a couple extra miles with you? I'd love to hear your story. 
I'd love to hear where, where, where are you from? I'd love to just spend more time with you. You imagine the stunned silence of that Roman soldier? They're like, what's going, you're weird, what's going on? Like, is this a, like Bagdad Sherry, are you part of a, a cult? Like, what is this? No, I'm not part of a cult. I've just met the living God. And so if going the extra mile and being a pack mule for a Roman soldier, my enemy, means that I get more airtime with him to tell him about what Jesus has done in my life, then let it be. Let me get some calluses on my feet for the glory of God. Fourthly, verse 42. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And so this last scenario Jesus mentions is not as degrading as, as the first three, but again, it's another opportunity where we have a choice to choose. We, get that we have a choice to play the would-you-rather game, right? Would I rather cling to my wealth and, and not be taken advantage of because the person who's begging from me, oh, I don't know what you're going to spend that on. Oh, am I going to be exploited? You need a loan? Oh, I don't know if I'm going to get that money back. What's mine is mine. What's yours and yours? You do you, I do me. It belongs to me. And as a follower of Jesus, we don't have any rights. We're servants of Christ. He's bought us with his blood. He's transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. We have for, professing Jesus as Lord. If you have a Lord, reminder, it means that we don't have any rights anymore. We follow Jesus, and we don't get to pick and choose who we love. And when, when, when opportunities are presented in front of us of our enemies who are doing wrong against us in, in these scenarios that Jesus is mentioning, where Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you want to be a follower of me, this is what it looks like to follow me. This is what it looks like to usher in my kingdom. And by the way, this is what it looks like to change the world. This is what it looks like to change the world. And so all that to say, in each scenario, Jesus commands the opposite of our sinful instincts, right? Right, like it's embarrassing. Like if you look at this, like every scenario Jesus shares, it's like, you slap me in the face, all right, like I'm going to slap you twice in the face. And then you're going to slap, like it's just going to escalate. I'm going to slap you back. Um, you force me to, to be your pack mule. Well, okay, I'm pretty good at, at chug, like, like throwing stuff. So there's your bag after mile one. Go pick it up. And I spit on the ground and say, peace, I'm out of here. Get out of my country, right? Or lawsuit, you're going to sue me? For a two, okay, you better talk to my lawyer. You better lawyer up. And I don't care. We're, we're burning this. We're, 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 we're burning this thing to the ground, man, through litigation, years and years of litigation. That's our natural response. You, you, you do evil against me, I pay back with evil. And before we think that Jesus is inviting us into misery, right? I want to I just come against this so strongly. When we read this, these four examples Jesus shares, it's like, man, being a follower of Jesus is the most miserable thing ever. He's inviting us to be humiliated and just be a pack meal for others, and it's the most, that's, that's completely false. He's inviting us to the most beautiful illustration of the gospel, to put the gospel on display in how we love our enemies. We, we've been invited to show the watching world what our God is like and how he's treated us when we've wronged him in our sins. And now we get to go live that out. And so every incident is an opportunity for us to testify to how Jesus has treated us. Why are you going the extra mile with me? Well, that's what Jesus did on, on, on Calvary's Hill. With a cross on his back and a scourge, uh, a scourge back, he, 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 he marched towards my cross. Those were my sins that he bore upon his shoulders. What, what, I just slapped you. Why do you not slap back? Because Jesus, with my sins, slapping my creator in the face, in my rebellion, saying, I don't, want, I don't want to bend to your lordship. The only reason I have breath in my lungs is because you created me, but with that breath, I'm going to curse you and turn my back on you and want nothing to do with you. That's called sin. And even when that was the case and that brought separation between me and my creator, my God loved me so much that even when my back was turned, he went to the cross and took the hit for me. He turned the other cheek. Why? So that I could come home. 
and my sins, which were separating me from my relationship with God, could be nailed to the cross, and he remembers them no more, so that I could be reconciled to God and know the all-living God by the Spirit inside of me and be an agent of restoration to this world. And so the invitation that Jesus gives us with every evil that comes against us is not, is not to give in to evil, right? When we're wronged or sued or slapped, we don't want to give in to that, but we, by responding with more evil, instead the invitation comes, hey, let's triumph over that evil. Let's actually transcend out of what we naturally do and be citizens of another kingdom. We're, we're, we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And this is what the Sermon on the Mount is. So in each of those situations where evil would just triumph, we can actually transcend and overcome that evil, but there's only one way to overcome evil in those incidences is with good. The slap back of the Christian, the, 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 the right cross of the Christian is humble, Christ-like love and service in the face of opposition and persecution. And this is a mega theme in scripture. We're going to read a couple of verses. Romans 12, 17. Repay, this is, this is what Jesus is getting at. These are the apostles, Peter, and the apostle Paul uh, unpacking further what Jesus taught them in the Sermon on the Mount. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. 1 Thessalonians 5, 15. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. What a great calling Jesus gives us to constantly be seeking his face and seeking out opportunities where we can do good to others and shine brightly. Lastly, 1 Peter 3, 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Man, would we adopt that for our social media comments. All right. But on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And this is what everything's getting at. I'm slowly wrapping up here. Got two more hours. Um, is this. The market is already flooded with evil. You tracking with me? There's plenty of revenge going around. There's plenty of greed going around. There's plenty of retaliation going around. There's plenty of it. And woe to us as followers of Jesus if we're contributing to the madness. Woe to us. If we're contributing to this, oh, but I've been offended. Oh, my rights. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. Do you realize how good you have it, the hope you have in Jesus? Is it not something greater you desire than demanding your rights and your revenge? Is it not something greater that you've been adopted into and called into, and now you get to invite others into who are offending you? There's something better. It's not what the world needs. Us just to contribute to the problem. There's plenty of that going around. Plenty of evil being heaped upon evil, being heaped upon evil. And most importantly, it's not who we are. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about this last month, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus declares over his followers something beautiful and profound. He says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Meaning this, wherever you come across decay, and moral darkness in your life that comes against you, or you see it in your community, neighborhood, workplace, don't add more decay and darkness to that situation. Bring in the hope and the light of Jesus, of the new kingdom that you're a citizen of, into that situation. Because where the light shines the brightest is in the darkest of situations, 
when evil comes against us. And so a while back, a, a, an illustration came to mind out of nowhere last night, and, and it was beautiful. It's something small, but I think it perfectly encapsulates being salt and light in the earth. So I used to uh, work in uh, my senior year of high school before I went to college. I worked at Betty's Azalea Ranch, okay? Anyone know like Maryfield Garden Center? Yeah, it's like Maryfield Garden, Garden Center, but not anywhere near as nice. Um, so I worked at, uh, sorry if, if you're watching, Betty Azalea Ranch owner, uh, thank you for the job. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, but uh, so I got paid like eight bucks an hour and, and me and uh, other guys who were either in college or in high school, like that was kind of the summer gig of like, let's just move some massive trees, move stuff around in the back and all this stuff. And occasionally we'd go on deliveries. And um, one day we, uh, me and this other, he's a freshman in college, we uh, went, got in the delivery truck and we were going to go all the way north to Great Falls to like a mansion. And we had, a, we had massive rocks, like massive rocks in the back of this truck, and we were doing a delivery. And um, we were anticipating that. We're going where? We're going to Great Falls, man. We're going to get a tip like you wouldn't even imagine, right? Like, it's going to be awesome. And the whole way up, um, the, the driver was playing uh, Christian music. He was playing, like, I think it was WGTS or, or, or whatever. And um, he was probably in his, I would say his late 50s, uh, probably not a man of... of financial means, to put it nicely, if he's working that job. I, I didn't get to know him that well. We worked in the back, and he was, a, he was a driver. But I could tell, looking back, as I was just reflecting on this, I could tell that this God, there was something different about this guy, and there's something that he desired, where it's almost like he's like, man, I had these two young, entitled, middle-class brats in my, <laughs> in my front seat, and there's, there was such a difference. I'm not going to detail, but such a difference. It was like two worlds were in that Two different worlds, two different life experiences were in that cab of that truck. And I could tell that his sincerity of heart, he didn't know what to say, didn't know how to say it, but he wanted nothing more than to share the joy that he had in Christ with us. And so we get to Great Falls, and dude, if we're not moving these rocks, like it took like an hour, and we, we you know, I, and I was, I was as big then as I am now, so not that big. Okay, so, so we're moving these, these massive rocks, and there's this super wealthy lady who's treating us like a pack mule right? Like, hey, I don't like that rock there. Can you, can you flip it over? Flip it over? So it was two times. Flip, oh, flip it over. Ah, I don't like it there. Can you shift it? And we're like, oh my gosh, like I'm throwing my back out, all this stuff for like an hour, and we don't get a tip. Nothing. We get back in the car, and me being the entitled brat I was, me and my buddy, we just complained the entire way back. Can you believe that? Did you see this, the, the house she had? Could you believe what she, she made us do? And she didn't even give us a tip, blah, 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 blah. You know, just being, just being whatever. And so... We make it back, and, and me and my buddy, we go to the way back of, of Betty's Azalea Ranch, and we're with our other buddies there. We're doing our thing and talking to them, complaining, and uh, out of nowhere, this guy's done something I've never seen him do before. Delivery guys, they don't go back to where we were at way in the way back. Like, they, they stay up front. And he came with two, two, two drinks from the vending machine uh, in his hand. I don't know why this always rocks me, but it rocked me last night. And I said, Lord, give me the faith of that man. Give me the faith of that man, because I still remember it. I still remember it. He goes, he comes back and he goes, he says to two entitled brats, he goes, he goes, hey, I know you guys didn't get the tip you wanted, and I know this isn't anywhere close, but I just want to bless you guys. Here's, here's some drinks on me. And that was it. And then he walked away. And it was amazing. And that man, that man did not have the financial means to just, just go buy a bunch of drinks from the vending machine. That was his, he had no, like, listen, listen, we're talking about what, what, what do you desire? What do you want for your life? What do you want people to remember you by? What do you want them to see in you? What do you want them to share? The experiences that you have, what do you want? 
And for this guy, it begs the question, why would this guy do that? He was not obligated to. He didn't have to do this. Spend that money, press in to bless us. And the bottom line was this, was because there was something greater that he desired than his wealth. There was something greater he desired than a few bucks in his savings account. And the impression that this guy, that I got from this guy, is he so badly wanted us to know. He wanted to do what he could. Even in, even in the, the gap between the age and the different life experience, he wanted us to know the grace and the love and the experience of God that he experienced in Christ Jesus. And I've heard it said this, that, um, and band, you can come up. I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up with this. And um, you've heard it said, I forget who said it, that sharing the gospel is like, telling one, is like a beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. Or you guys ever heard that saying? Sharing the gospel with someone is like a one beggar going to another beggar, uh, uh, talking about where he found bread. And um, I love that quote. I'm not dogging on that quote or whoever said it. I forget who said it. But I, I just had this thought. It doesn't go far enough. It doesn't go far enough. And what sharing the gospel truly is, is it's not one beggar telling another beggar where he found a slice of Dave's killer bread. That's not what it is. It's one beggar saying, hey, I've tasted and seen of a banquet, a never-ending banquet of God's love and his grace and his kindness. You won't believe the king I found. You won't believe the table that I've been invited to feast at and who I've been invited to feast with. No, no, don't worry about getting cleaned up and putting your nice clothes on. You can actually come to this banquet. The way you get in is coming in your filthy rags. And then this king I've met, he takes the filthy rags of your sin and he forgives you of it. And he, he makes you brand new and clothes you in royal robes. You got to meet this guy. You got to taste and see of the goodness of God. It's beautiful. And our problem is that we're not necessarily, as Christians, closed-minded. We're too nearsighted. That, we, that often we've forgotten the joy that's been set before us. That because of what Jesus has done, our horizon looks forever. Looks, looks, looks different forever. That there is eternal joy in the presence of God as our inheritance forever. And now the greatest joy that we have is inviting others to share that joy with us. Right? So the psalmist says in Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see, oh, that the Lord is good. And so the bottom line is this, is when we are in awestruck wonder at how good our God is, how kind and how gracious and loving he's been to us, when he is our supreme joy, then naturally we will naturally live out what Jesus is teaching here. Right? Like, like anyone here have a favorite restaurant that they just newly discovered? or know someone that has. I recently had someone uh, uh, buy me lunch a couple weeks ago. And I said, hey, man, just, just stop by the office. And he's like, no, no, I'm going to buy you lunch. It's my favorite restaurant. I was like, okay, you can buy me lunch. I'm going to go out there, cover it. But, but what was he doing in that moment? He was saying, I found this place, and I've tasted and seen that it's so good that instead of me worrying about the bill, the offense, I'm going to cover all of it so that you can come and experience what I'm experiencing. Like, I have the bill. I want you to taste and see the goodness of God. I have it covered. And so with all of the offenses, what Jesus is saying is cover the bill so that they can see, get a glimpse of what the king of, king, of, king of kings is like. Cover the bill. Turn the other cheek. Cover the bill. Over and above. Tip them 40%. Go the extra mile. Give them, give them that second coat. Cover the bill. Why? 
because you want them to taste and see the goodness of your God. And so lay down your life, lay down your time, lay down your treasures. Let's get calluses on our feet to show them how good our God is, that we would gladly cover the bill so that others can taste and see of the banquet that we beggars and sinners have been invited to, even in spite of us, in spite of us. And so with that said, we're going to conclude with Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is all going somewhere, where it's a race, there's a destination, there's a horizon, there's a joy set before us. And that joy set before us is all because of the joy that was first set before Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such, from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And what's crystal clear in the scriptures and in the life and the ministry of Jesus is he did not just teach us this ethic, but he modeled it for us with his life. When he was slapped and his beard was ripped out and they were spitting in his face and they were insulting and mocking him, he didn't swing back because there was something greater he desired. When his cloak, his last garment was taken from him and gambled over by Roman soldiers, he didn't demand it back, but he hung naked and humiliated on that cross. Why? Because there was something greater he desired. And when forced to march towards Calvary's hill with that cross on his back, stumbling every way, he didn't stop short. Why? Because there was a joy set before him. There was something greater he desired. What was that joy set before Jesus Christ? It was you and me. That's what it was. It was a rescue mission. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which is lost. And so everything Jesus is inviting us to do is what he's first done for us. And he's modeled to us that there is a joy set before him. And that was you and me being reconciled to the Father. That our sins, which would eternally separate us from God, would be absolved and taken on the cross. He would take the hit. He would pay the bill. Why? So that we could taste and see of the goodness of our God forever. And that's what communion is. We're going to respond with communion. Communion is Jesus paying the bill. Our debt of sins that we owed. Why? So we could be invited to the table. If you need communion elements, feel free to go to the hallway and grab some at home. Uh, bust out some bread and wine. And this is Jesus' heart. Whatever you heard in church before, you need to hear this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life, more life, more peace, more joy than you can even remotely handle in your life. And what this symbolizes on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared a meal with his disciples and he was calling it. In less than 24 hours, he'd be nailed to that cross and he's saying, take this bread, which is gonna be my body broken for you and drink this wine, which is gonna represent my blood shed for your sins so that your sins could be forgiven. And so today, as we remember this meal, we remember this is that God's love, the Savior's love for us was so great that he was willing to lay down his life for you. He was really willing to take the hit, to foot the bill. Why? So we could be invited to the banquet with him. And the beautiful invitation of the gospel is we come just as we are in our racks and we get the riches of his grace. 
and his mercy. So we celebrate what our Savior has done for us, and may we model it, transit family today. May we pray for opportunities in our workplace, in Starbucks, wherever we go, to show the world how precious our Jesus is to us and what he's done for us and invite others to the table that we've been invited to feast at. So take this bread, this wafer. This represents the body of Christ broken for you. This juice represents the blood of Jesus shed for your sins and mine. Amen and amen. We're gonna sing one last song of worship to our King. You can sit or uh, stand as you desire.